Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. Wow, this is the Exxon. 26 years later, we're still doing it. Can you believe that? Five nights a week, four hours a night. My gosh. Time flies when you're having fun, right? If you'd like to check us out, visit our website, exxonradiotv.com, and all social media sites, TV. And to find out all about the great programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network xzbn.net and of course we're heard around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, uh, Euro Radio TV Network and our good friends at iHeartRadio. My guest this hour explanation is Jim Elvidge. He holds a master's degree in electrical engineering from Cornell University. He has applied his training in high-tech world as a leader in technology and enterprise management, including many years in executive roles for various companies, entrepreneurial ventures, and leadership consulting. He also holds four patents in digital signal processing and is a regular speaker at technology conferences. For many years, uh, Jim has kept pace with latest research theories and discoveries in varied field of quantum physics, cosmology, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, and, of course, metaphysical anomalies. This unique knowledge base provided the foundation for his critically acclaimed 2008 book, The Universe Solved, which for the first time presented the astounding evidence that our reality may be under program control. Now, nine years later, scientists, technologists, and futurists all over the world are jumping on the simulation bandwagon, speculating that our reality is a digital simulation. Uh, Jim's uh, research and theory, however, has continued well beyond the simulation hypothesis and incorporated powerful ideas around consciousness, cultural synchronicities, quantum anomalies, and a true scientific foundation for digital conscious theory. The true theory of everything is presented in his second book, Digital Consciousness. Joining me now is Jim Elvidge. And Jim, welcome to the X-Zone. Oh, thank you very much, Rob. Great to be on the show, and uh, congratulations on 26 years. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm telling you, it just seems like 26 years ago we started. (laughs) Jim, um, you know, is this a simulation? Are we in a a modern-day holographic reality? Yeah, that's the uh, the ultimate question, and there's probably no way to tell 100% for sure, yeah. but if you add up all the evidence, it certainly seems like something like that. 
Um, and there are different kinds of simulations. The, the one that Nick Bostrom, who's maybe the father of this idea uh, back in early 2000s, the kind that he proposed was, you know, we're some point in the future or maybe there's some uh, other intelligence out there that created this simulation that we just happen to be living in. Um, and that's the one that's sort of captured the imagination of, uh, you know, of, of general scientists and others. Um, then there's another theory that has to do with mapping holographic, um, you know, 3D to two dimensions on a black hole, which right. is sort of the physicist view. There's there's all kinds of ways to look at this, and uh, you know, the the whole field gets a little bit jumbled up and confused after a while. But yeah, it does seem like there's a lot of evidence that supports it for sure. You know what this entire scenario about a holographic, you know, existence reminds me of when I was a kid. I'd read Superman comics. And he used to have these giant glass jars that had cities in them. And with the advent of, of Star Trek and the holodeck, is this a progression that we're seeing into bringing us into the, the reality that we're not real, that we're just holographic images that were being manipulated by who knows who? You mean in the sense of the the media and the kind of programs that come out, kind of sensitizing us to yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's interesting. You know, does art follow uh, form and so forth? Right. Um, it, it does seem kind of uncanny that that Bostrom came up with his idea about the same year that The Matrix came out yep. in, a, in a movie called The Existence and Thirteenth Floor. Um, but really, the whole idea that our reality isn't what it seems goes way back. It's it's Greek, uh, you know, probably further back than that, you know, ancient Indian thought, um, you know, but the, you know, the, the Plato talked about the, um, uh, the cave allegory and how, well, you know, what we were seeing was kind of like shadows in the cave. It was a reflection of reality in some way. So there's been speculation, you know, for millennia about whether or not this is a true reality. Well, here's um, a true reality you know. that I wish I could get away from, but I've got to take a, a break. So please stand by, Jim. ExoNation, Jim Melvidge is our special guest. www.theuniversesolved.com And Jim and I will be back on the other side of this break in person or in digital format right here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www 
HolisticCancerFoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Exonation, uh, Jim Melvidge is our special guest, www.universesolve.com. And Jim, what are some of the categories of evidence that our reality is digital? Uh, well, there's two basic categories, I'd say. Um, I mean, one is the, the basic digital aspect of itself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, our reality could either be digital in the sense that it's described by information, or it could be continuous in some way. Um, where there's no real information. There's sort of an infinite resolution of space and time. But there's absolutely no evidence for that infinite resolution. The whole concept of infinity um, is is actually pretty anomalous when you think about it. Uh, A lot of things break down with infinite resolution. Physics breaks down completely. Uh, the leading theories of phys- uh, physics right now, things like uh, loop quantum gravity and, and other theories that merge quantum mechanics and relativity together for the first time, those imply a certain uh, discreteness about reality. So even the physicists kind of say, yeah, you know, it, it seems like there's something discrete about that. Um, quantum mechanics has a lot of discrete a- aspects to it. Just the name quantum uh, comes from the word quanta, which are discrete units mm-hmm. of, um, you know, of time or space. Um, the simulation argument that Nick Bostrom put forth was, was a great bit of evidence. It was a, a logical way to kind of view the fact that we're probably living in a simulation, but it comes more from the field of philosophy. And then if you think about matter itself, we, we've been looking at matter for millennia. What is matter? What, what is this hard stuff that you, you, know, you knock on your desk and you feel this hard thing? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, modern science today knows that you're not actually touching anything. The molecules on the desk aren't actually touching the molecules in your knuckles. Um, it's the electromagnetic force between the, the electrons and the particles in your knuckles and the desk that are repelling against each other that makes, makes that, that feel hard. So even, even the sense of, um, you know, the stuff that we, we touch is kind of an illusion. And then over the past few centuries, we have progressively found that mm-hmm. the, the nature of matter is more and more tenuous. Initially, we thought atoms were indivisible, and they were just like little blocks of stuff. But then we found that 
um, you know, with Rutherford's experiments in the early 1900s, no, they're, they're little nuclei, this, this, the little hard blocks of stuff, and the rest is empty space with this electron cloud around it. And in fact, it's like one part in 10 to the 15th, um, you know, solid stuff. But then we found in the 60s, no, that solid stuff we thought was solid is really a bunch of quarks that um, have empty space in between them. So now it's one part in 10 to the 30th, you know, stuff. Um, and now string theorists say, well, actually, even the quarks are just vibrating bits of string, and most of a quark is empty space. And it, it actually kind of gets ridiculous when you think about it. And if you sort of look at the trend, the trend is that every 45 years or so, physicists you know, remove about 15 orders of magnitude of density to matter. So to me, you know, the, the, where this is going is the logical conclusion is that there really isn't any stuff at all. There doesn't need to be any hard thing. All there needs to be is information and rules, and the information is what defines matter or material elements, and the rules are kind of what define the forces, the things that you feel, the things that you see, the things that we, we interact with and gravity and so forth. So, um, you know, just looking at matter gets you down to, uh, you know, a, a good category of evidence that things really aren't continuous. And then, you know, other than the discrete nature of things or the digital nature of things, uh, my theory um, explores consciousness and, and the nature of consciousness yeah, I, being kind of integral to this. I was just going to ask you about that, because if we're living in a, in a um, digital reality, what about consciousness? Is consciousness real, or is this a part of a virtual reality set that we're living in? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, because that, that's sort of what separates the two different schools of thought here. There have been uh, people like Ed Fredkin and mm -hmm. uh, others in the past who formulated this idea of a digital reality, but it was a very deterministic one. Like, we're just going for along for the ride. We have no free will. You know, we're, we're part of a digital system. And that's a very kind of cold and meaningless and calculated way of looking at reality. And although... Theoretically, it could be true. It means that there's no point to the universe, to life, to anything. Um, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of science, which mm -hmm. is, you know, out there gathering data and collecting evidence and trying to determine things. If those things are, um, you know, there's, there's, if there's nothing that they can do about it, there's almost no sense in, in doing that. Like, you know, what's the sense in getting up tomorrow morning if we're living in a digital reality? Yeah, exactly. And but the but the interesting thing is that it, digital reality doesn't have to be deterministic, and and the view that that I have and a few others mm -hmm. is based on a little broader set of evidence. So it's based on some of the paranormal research that's done, out of body experiences, yeah. near death experiences, past life experiences, mm -hmm. um, and you know, kind of some of the universal human spiritual experiences that have been happening for millennia across all cultures. There's a reason for the commonality of those things. It's because people who get in a particular state of mind actually experience something different other than this physical reality we're in. So consciousness is at the center of this. And, and consciousness can also be you know, created by a digital system as, as easily as it could be created by a continuous one. Well, let's face it. We live in at least a, a binary existence because... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I look at it, all right, there's good, uh, binary, zero, one, basic binary. But then when you look at the world around us, there's good and evil, up, down, left, right, boy, girl, yep. in, out. Exactly. So is this all part of the, the digital reality? I think the, the fun, what I think is the fundamental digital reality is way deeper than what we're looking at right now. Even like the Linear Hadron Collider, the Large Hadron Collider, isn't exploring the level of where it's actually digital. So, you know, when a physicist says, well, we have no evidence that mm -hmm. there's anything discrete or we're not seeing any preferred direction of light that you might see if there was a lattice of space-time or something like that. Right. It doesn't mean a thing. All it means is that, you know, we're looking, our, 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 uh, the, the tools that we have to probe that are probing at too high of a level. It's kind of like, 
you take a pond and you, you know, a pond is a very continuous thing, all this continuous water in there, right? And you drop a pebble in it and you see discrete waves coming out of that, you know, disturbance. Well, those discrete waves are composed of, you know, continuous water, but that continuous water is composed of discrete atoms. But those discrete atoms, according to physics, are composed of continuous wave fields. But those continuous wave fields are composed of quanta, according to the quantum theory. So, like, every level down kind of flips between continuous and discrete and continuous and discrete. And I think, ultimately, the, the deepest level is going to be found to be information, which is discrete. All right, so let me ask you this very simple question. I'm sure you'll just answer it right off the, right off the cuff. Uh, if consciousness isn't real, the consciousness that we believe we have to be in the brain isn't there, who or what are we? Well, so I, I do think consciousness is real. In fact, okay. the, thing, the only thing that we know is real is what we experience, and we experience that because of our consciousness. So that's, consciousness to me is, is fundamental. It's sort of like, um, you know, it's an artifact. It's like, it's like saying, you know, uh, is there such a thing as a car without wheels? No, by definition, a car has to have wheels. Right. Well, maybe flying cars. But, exactly. you know, by definition, a, a system... A reality system has to have consciousness. It kind of starts there. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as uh, you know, one of my colleagues, Tom Campbell, said, consciousness is organized bits. So the more complex your, your digital system is, the more likely it will, will form consciousness. So the whole big system that we're all part of, you know, you might call God or all that there is. I tend to call it all that there is because God conjures up, you know, kind of specific images in people. Right. Um, that, that big system is the fundamental reality and that consciousness is core to that. And we're part of that. Like your consciousness and my consciousness um, are a, you know, a segmented portion of that big system, which is why, you know, historically people have said we're all connected. Yeah. Well, we are, are all connected in that way. So where, where does, where does our, where does our DNA come into play here? There has uh, to yeah, be a but, connection. Sure. Yeah, DNA is a, definitely at a much higher level. There's a, a good example of a, a, a complex system that mm-hmm. has a digital aspect to it. You know, the genes are very specific on DNA, uh, chromosomes and so forth. But um, that is a like a descriptive element of kind of the template of our bodies. Our bodies, um, everything that we see is could be, uh, and I believe, is, is, a, uh, is a virtual thing. So it's kind of like when you dream, you are, you know, really dreaming about virtual experiences. Right. Our physical reality is probably also a virtual experience like that. Our bodies are composed of all the things that we are exploring the body and in, in coming up with, but that's not the fundamental nature of the system. That's just a digital template of what makes us tick. It's kind of like an avatar, if you will. Okay, so if if that is the case that we are this digital, um, re, that we're part of a digital reality, where does where does birth and death come in? All right, so here's here's the cool part. Okay, so imagine that our our system is this big cloud of consciousness. And you're a little tiny cloud within that, and I'm a little tiny cloud within that. Uh And over there, somewhere else within that cloud is something that we might call the reality learning lab. That's what we connect to when we experience a life in this so-called physical reality, what we tend to think of as hard and fast and physical. And by the way, the, the scientific evidence these days is that we don't really have an objective reality, that our consciousness can manipulate reality. So that's really great evidence for this whole theory. Um, but imagine that, that re- reality learning lab, think of that as like a, a program that's running or something like that, like a, you know, a massively multiplayer online role-playing simulation. Mm-hmm. Our consciousness connects to that. When we're born, we connect to that. And, you know, we have this avatar in the reality learning lab, which is a baby, and that baby grows according to the rules of the learning lab. The whole point of us interacting in that reality learning lab is for us to evolve our consciousness. So are we, we saying are we saying that God is a supercomputer? Uh, what we're saying is that God is is a word for all that there is. 
and, and effectively, I think you're right. You know, effectively, it's, yeah. it's a computational construct that's way beyond our imagination, something that, you know, and, and it's an interesting thing, too, that um, people who have experienced it or had a kind of a spiritual experience and connected mm-hmm. with someone who gave them some answers about this, they all say the same thing, that this system, God, if you will, is dispassionate, kind of doesn't care, you know, what happens. There is no good or evil. It, right. it just is. All it wants to do is evolve the whole big system through evolving the individuated consciousnesses, which we are. How do we do that? By learning, by learning in this reality learning lab, learning the things that evolve consciousness like, you know, love and compassion and, and, and things like that. We wouldn't learn that if we knew what the actual reality was. We learn it more because we're put into a learning situation uh, to learn that, and that's what we're All living. Right. All right, stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation, my guest this hour is Jim Elvidge. And um, if you'd like to find out more about Jim, just visit his website at www.theuniversesolved.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, StarwalkerVisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? 
There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Jim Melvidge is our guest. The website is theuniversesolved.com. Jim, using the hypothetical situation, that uh, hypothesis that I said before where God was a supercomputer, who built that supercomputer? Probably built itself. And, and that's, I know that's a, a real strange thing to think about. We tend to want to say, well, who owned this? Who built this? Where yeah. did this come from? Exactly. But there are uh, self-evolving systems. And if you turn the clock back on a large self-evolving system, mm-hmm. you get to some point where either it was uh, instantiated by some intelligent entity or it came out of nothing. And, you know, this is pure speculation at this point, like where it came from. Um, It's possible that it started with a, you know, a binary system. It was just, there were just two bits in the universe and those two bits divided, you know, much like cells divide. You mean like two bits like Adam and Eve? Or yeah, it could be actually. That's an interesting metaphor. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you know, the the thing that's so interesting about things like that yeah. is that those concepts, where do they come from? Exactly. You know, they, they they come from people who have had some spiritual experience, mm-hmm. who who've connected outside of our world, and are told things like that. Yeah. So yeah, that that's it's very possible that that's what that means. Why is science so darn slow to embrace new ideas, Jim? It's uh, evolutionary, I think. Uh, people, um, you know, we our, our minds are sort of designed to want to be safe and not try new things. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's an evolutionary thing that kept us safe during the hunter-gatherer days. Um, you know, if you... If you challenge the uh, the saber-toothed cat, you were going to get killed and your genes wouldn't get passed on. But if you stayed in the cave at night, your genes might get passed on. So today, we, we, we're, we're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of things. And people build a, uh, you could call it a, a house of a worldview. And when something disrupts that house and that whole house crumbles, it can be devastating to people, especially a scientist who has built their entire career and reputation and their livelihood on some ideas. Uh, and, and somebody comes along and, and tries to shatter one of those de- ideas, you know, like Einstein did and, and uh, the cold fusion guys mm. did and, and other things. There's a furious backlash because that's threatening to everybody else. A lot of people are talking these days about something called the Mandela effect. What's your take on that? Oh, I, I love that one. Um, yeah, I'm not sure uh, if your viewers have probably explored a lot of these different things. Um, one of them was um, uh, uh, the the Berenstein Bears. Yeah. That the, that book series. I remember calling calling it Berenstein and being spelled S T E I N. But now every artifact that's out there spells it S T A I N. Um, and, and that was one of the first that really got my attention. It's almost like the the reality was rewritten like imagine if every single artifact in google in microfiche in books and newspapers and everything just suddenly got rewritten and a name got changed that can't happen in a real physical reality but it can certainly happen in a digital one it's very easy to imagine that going on in a you know a fantasy program for example let's let's replace all of the the pine trees with palm trees, sure. you know, a little, little coating and boom, it's done. And, and all the, the people say, well, I thought I remembered this being a pine tree grove, you know, but well, there it is, you know, and, and, and all of our records say that it's always been palm trees. Is it, is so it possible that we're shifting through different uh, dimensions, different realities, and this is what is causing the, the so-called Mandela effect? 
Um, yeah, it's possible. Uh, you know, it's possible that, that that the system that I'm talking about runs multiple simulations. So mm. we could be jumping from one to another. It that would kind of imply that this was a mistake, but. I think the system's probably smarter than that, so my guess is that it's not a mistake, that it's, you know, an intentional aberration designed to make us think and, and kind of evolve our thought process. Yeah, but to, to, to what end? Like, if, if we are programmed or part of a digital program even to self-evolve, who is doing it and for what final you know, what final solution? Because when you have a computer program that is running, you expect, or, or you're, you're putting in, uh, you're putting in data to see what the end result is going to be. Mm -hmm. So who is programming this supercomputer and what is the end result supposed to be? Well, the end result is supposed to be an evolve, a more evolved system and a more evolved overall large, what we call it, supercomputer, God, yeah. all that there is, system, whatever that is. That's, that's the end result. So how might it do that? Um, and this actually relates to my, my day job where we, uh, we teach companies how to um, experiment in a safe way. You put a product out there, you don't know necessarily if, if uh, you know, you've got the exact right product that, that's going to get a lot of customers interested exactly. in it. But if you put two out and and your customers gravitate toward one rather than the other, then you throw the other one out, and you focus yeah. on that, that one. And then you modify that. You split that in two different ways and say, well, which set of features do you like better? And then you, you gravitate toward that. So you can imagine that you're, if you can do this, if you can get feedback from your users um, on every little sort of instantiation of sets of features, you can migrate your way to an incredible product. In, this, in, an, in an analogous way, our universe can migrate its way toward an incredible uh, system, ultimately. I, I have a perfect example of that. We had a, um, somebody who came up with this idea that was going to make a million dollars, and they asked us to advertise it, as well as other venues. And the sales were disgusting. Why? <laughs> because the person who was promoting it thought it was a great idea. He didn't do any homework exactly. on it. Exactly, And that, you know what, Rob, that, that's a real common mistake in yeah. Silicon Valley. Um, you know, so many startups have failed because they were arrogant. They had assumptions that something was great. They had a business plan and they just yeah. followed the business plan blindly. But there's a new movement now. It's called Lean Startup. And uh, it's, it's designed to, you know, more experiment with your products and, and do very low cost, things like yeah. simply interviewing your potential customers and saying, what would you like better, um, you know, as an example. Remember the old market surveys of days gone by where people on the street were stopped and asked? Mm-hmm. You know, nothing, whatever happened to nothing that? Nothing wrong with that. No, of course not. Um, I understand that you are not a fan of transhumanization and the singularity. Yeah, not so much. It, it's not that I, for a couple reasons. One, I think that the singularity idea, I mean, it's kind of a cool idea, and we do seem to be, um, you know, heading toward a more and more complex mm -hmm. world, and AI, you know, probably will grow at a certain pace. But one of the things that's wrong with the projections is that it assumes that Moore's law applies to software and artificial intelligence, and it doesn't at all. You know, we're, we, we've gotten to the point now where our, the interaction of our components in our computer systems is so complex that you make one mistake over here, there's a ripple effect, and yeah. it, it destroys a lot of things. So it's not, um, you know, it's not following that pattern. Not that it'll never get there, but even if it does get there, I think the, the flaw that the transhumanists have is they think this is a magic bullet for living forever. You know, that we can merge with silicon, and silicon is going to, you know, it's not flawed by the, uh, you know, the human wetware that, that, that we have, and that, that silicon can last forever, so all we have to do is upload our consciousness, and now we're immortal. But, but the dumb thing about that is, if you actually look at the evidence, we're already immortal. Our consciousness is separate from our body. Our consciousness is immortal. We just happen to be playing this, this game overall. So if we extend our life in an artificial way, we're denying ourselves the ability to 
reincarnate and rediscover new things in new situations. Do you believe in, in um, ET intelligence? Um, yeah, I do, actually. Uh, I, I, I certainly believe in the possibility, and I believe that a lot of people have had some very interesting experience, the experiences that are not explained by you know, conventional wisdom. And so that just means it's a different experience. And in this model, um, there's no reason why there can't be sort of non-player characters out there or other intelligences that don't interact in a normal way with our reality. Um, you know, we, we, we follow rules. This reality program, the Reality Learning Lab, I, I talked to you about, um, there are some rules in there. There's rules about gravity and physics and things can't go faster than the speed of light and so on and so forth. Why but those can't aren't they? rules. Why, sorry, can't, sorry, why, why can't things go faster than the speed of light? I'll, exactly. They can't go faster than the speed of light according to those rules. Right. But there's no reason why a program can't make something go faster than the speed of light. There's no reason why an artifact in a program can't suddenly you know, be in one galaxy and appear in another, if those galaxies are just representations that are computed in this system. But not, that, o- not only know, that, Jim, you know, we, we, we base our knowledge today on science as we know it today. But as discoveries happen and we learn more, those formulas may not stand the test of time. Absolutely. So why do we base yep. everything on formulas that may not you know, may not exist or may not have any credence in the near future. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's this kind of, you know, I hate to say it, a little bit of arrogance in the scientific community. It was back in the 1800s, I think it was um, Mickelson, the, the guy uh, famous for the Mickelson-Morley experiment, right. who said, we've discovered everything there is to know. All we need to do is determine some constants to greater precision at this point. <laughs> he couldn't have been more wrong. Exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, 20th century just completely revolutionized the, the whole idea of uh, physics. So, yeah, it, it's, it's arrogant to think that what we know now is going to stand the test of time. And everything, like relativity, modified Newtonian mechanics. It modified it at very high speeds that we were unable to explore before. Well, maybe something will modify Newtonian mechanics plus relativity, right. like the, the idea of multi-dimensions or the idea of, you know, getting outside of a simulation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, people, science, academia, they seem to get an idea in their head, and even when they're proven wrong, they still force it down your throat. For example, we know for a fact that Christopher Columbus did not discover the Americas, and yet every kid is taught in school that Christopher yep. Columbus discovered the Americas. Right. How ironic. There, How stupid yeah, is right. that? Yeah, there, there's some uh, great websites that describe all the things you learned as a kid in science that are now wrong. And it's not to say there's anything wrong with science. What science is is the scientific method. It's, you know, formulate a hypothesis, design some experiments to test it, Look at, look at the results of those experiments, refine your hypothesis, and the more evidence you collect, the more that, quote, hypothesis gravitates toward a theory. Right. But it never becomes a fact. You know, the, the idea of a fact doesn't have a place in science, and people will talk about things as if they're fact when they're, they're not really. Jim, stand by. You and I have to take our final break. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I love this conversation. Exxon Nation, Jim Elvidge is our special guest, www.theuniversesolved.com, and Jim and I will be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again, if you'd like to find out what the Exxon Broadcast Network is all about, www.xzbn.net. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. 
but the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Jim Elvidge is our guest, special guest. Let me try that again. Jim Elvidge is our special guest this hour, Exxon Nation, theuniversesolved.com. Jim, if there are aliens out there flying around in these little UFOs from Zeta Reticuli and who have a habit of crashing in Roswell, New Mexico, <laughs> why don't we see them? Oh, yeah, the, the, the Fermi paradox. Well, we, first of all, we do see them. You know, some people do see them, right? But why doesn't um, everybody see them? Why doesn't everybody... Uh, that's that's interesting too. Um, again, I, I can't say exactly what the agenda is there, but you can imagine that um, again in some sort of uh, simulated system, it's pretty easy to change 
or, or to, to say this set of people can see something and this set of people can't, or, you know, here's a, here's an anomaly that we're going to, um, you know, demonstrate, uh, only in these very, uh, certain conditions, something like that. Um, you know, it, it completely explains mm-hmm. violating, you know, known laws of physics, right. You know, there's nothing, nothing out of the ordinary in doing that in a simulation. Imagine a, you know, again, a fantasy program that's, that's limited. All those fantasy programs, they have physics engines, too. When somebody throws a, a rock or something, it, it will follow the laws of physics. Um, but there's nothing wrong with a programmer going in there and violating those, that physics engine and going kind of outside of the concept of the physics engine. So uh-huh. what I think is happening mm-hmm. is, People are having a, a, a subjective experience, and the subjective experience is involving some either intelligence or some artifact or aspect of the bigger system for some reason. And, and I know that sounds really vague, but um, it, what, mm-hmm. it, what, it's, what it's basically saying is there's stuff there that we just don't understand. And it's kind of like, you know, back in the 1800s, people were reporting rocks falling out of the sky. Yeah. And the scientists were saying, no, nope, impossible, rocks don't fall out of the sky, you're, you're hallucinating, it's pseudoscience, it's BS. And then eventually somebody came up with a theory, well, you know, there are these things called, you know, meteorites, and, and they sometimes uh, hit the earth before getting burned up in the atmosphere, and, oh, that's explaining what the rocks are falling out of the sky. So now all of a sudden it's acceptable. Um, well, it's the same thing. Here we have some things that are happening outside of our conventional norms and um, the, the, the experience is real for the people who are having the experience. Yes. Um, but there's, there's not yet a, quote, scientific explanation for it. What about the alien abduction scenario? Um, you know, again, I, I think when we start talking about things like this, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, you're, you're getting into what is real, right? You know, is, is our reality any realer than a dream? The, the only reason we think it's realer than a dream is, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, it seems consistent. You know, the desk I look at today, I close my eyes, open it again, it's going to look the same. Yeah. And two people who look at the same desk or the same car describe pretty much the same thing. So there's this consensus that sort of locks us into the feeling that this is a hard, serious thing, as opposed to a dream where it's all your fantasy running amok. It changes every couple seconds and so on and so forth. But then there's things in between, like there are lucid dreams, mutual lucid dreams, where people experience the same thing together, mm-hmm. two separate brains sleeping in, in separate vicinities from each other, um, experience the same thing, sharing a dream. Um, and there are people who have out-of-body experiences yeah. and experience things. So, so the, the level of consensus isn't a binary thing. It's, like, it's not like physical reality is this hard consensus and dreams is zero. Um, no, there's a whole spectrum there. And I think the, the um, alien or the, the uh, uh, abduction scenario yeah. falls into one of those categories where you know, you, you can have this experience, and, and what is it? Well, it's, it, it may be physical, but we don't even use the word physical, right? But it's certainly an experience that the person is having, much like the experience they have when they dream. I'm not saying this is a dream. Right. I'm just saying it's a different kind of interaction. So we can apply this concept to all matters within the paranormal. We can, easily. And, and if you think about it, if you imagine your consciousness is this sort of cloud in the bigger cloud and mine is a cloud in the bigger cloud, and our own, only way of you and I interacting is in this reality learning lab through connecting to it, fine. But what if there's a communication path between your cloud and my cloud? That's called telepathy. Or what if, what if there's a, you know, a way for your consciousness and your cloud to see something different from the place that your avatar is in, in, in the uh, reality learning lab, like maybe the, you know, some other uh, continent in the reality learning lab that's called clairvoyance or remote viewing. So these things are really easily explained by this model. um, And they all, they all make total sense to me. So how does everything we talked about tonight, uh, fit in with your theory of relativity, or reality, I should say? Uh, you know, it all, it all fits in real well. You know, I, I think that what we are, again, is our consciousness is separate from the body. Um, 
the body is mm-hmm. an avatar or it's a template yep. that is being run in this you know, reality simulation, the bigger simulation that our consciousness is part of, call it God, call it all there is, call mm-hmm. it whatever you want, um, that's the, the more interesting place. That's where we go when we die. That's where we maybe you know, talk to spirit guides. We experience paranormal things. It's even possible to experience parallel things through the reality learning lab by violating those rules of physics we talked about before. But it, it gives a, a foundation for, for all of the above. It explains the quantum anomalies. It explains the Mandela effect. I mean, people can't understand what entanglement is. How can two particles be entangled? I can explain it really easy. Those two particles, are their properties are being driven by something we call in computer science a finite state machine. And since they were instantiated at the same time, when you take one light years away from the other, they're still being executed by the same underlying system. So they're going to do everything in lockstep. And when you, you know, affect one, it's going to automatically affect the other. It's, it's super simple to model that in, in this world. But the, the problem the physicists are having is that they haven't really thought about this possibility in that way. So they're still trying to fit explanations for entanglement in the old materialistic model. You know, I, I remember uh, the story in the Bible about the Ark of the Covenant, and it was uh, used to communicate with God. Maybe the Ark of the Covenant was uh, a modem of some sort. Yeah, uh, just some, some way of getting outside yeah. of our normal communication. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, honestly, I think that... I, I think meditation is a good modem for that or a good mm-hmm. mode for that. You know, you, if you can clear your mind out yep. of the junk that, you know, occupies your thoughts all the time, now what's left? Now you're, you're maybe sitting out there, your, your focus is sitting out there in your real consciousness, and now maybe you can really experience what's outside of this apparent physical reality that we live in. So that's why people who have... Uh, who meditate start experiencing really cool things and really different things and they start traveling out of their body and stuff it's because they're detaching from the physical reality which is just an illusion based on the the uh, digital reality is it possible to communicate with the dead uh, well the, the dead are just dead temporarily so certainly possible to communicate with the consciousness that occupied that you know, that individual that, you know, was previously alive in this, in this reality. Yes, certainly. So what do you see the future looking like? Um, I mean, I, I see this, I see this idea taking hold and, you know, it's already hit the mainstream. You see Elon Musk is now kind of, people always refer to him because he made the statement that he thinks for sure we're living in a simulation, although he's still thinking about it in terms of the 2000 era Boston simulation. But, um, you know, it is starting to take hold and people are starting to recognize this. And I, I think, I think our, our, our reality is evolving in a positive way overall. Yes. Nothing ever goes perfectly linearly up. You know, there's always two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. There's always going to be catastrophes and evil. And the unexpected, and that. But, yeah. but, but, you know, you look at, say the murder rate over the past 500 years has just been in constant decline the way we treat animals is much better than it was 30 years ago despite sure. some existing you know oh, cases if otherwise. this is if this is a case the murder rate is down we treat animals better how come we treat humans worse um we just haven't learned our lessons yet Man. Uh, we, we we haven't recognized who we actually are. We we still think we're competing for resources. Therefore, we have to muscle out our fellow humans and act in a competitive way rather than a cooperative way. If we truly knew what we were, that we're just a consciousness connected to everybody else, there probably wouldn't be war. We'd be treating everybody better. We'd be focusing on different things. We wouldn't be working nine to fives. We'd be doing more art. I mean, I think it'd be a very different world. So we're basically like the Borg Collective. The, I'm sorry, the, the what? The Borg from Star Trek, New Generation. Oh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and what you've got going on in the future that they might uh, be interested in. Oh, sure. Thanks, Rob, uh, for that opportunity. Uh, my, my website is theuniversesolved.com. 
all one word, and that was because of the original book. There's a blog on there, a forum where people interact, and uh, a little bit about the history of the simulation idea. Um, new book should be coming out this year. Uh, just got a publishing deal, so I'm kind of waiting to find out what their ETA is for uh, when it will be released. Um, and that's going to be very different and have a lot of more scientifically grounded um, evidence for things. So look out for that. People can communicate with me on Facebook. Um, I, I don't usually um, you know, accept friend requests on my personal page, but I have a Universe Solve page that anybody can follow, and we interact, and people post things and uh so that's a, a good way to uh, you know keep up with some of this stuff too jim i want to thank and you I, I also blog too all right jim i want to thank you so much for joining us i look forward to the next time you visit us back here in the exxon until then be safe my friend thank you very much rob i appreciate it good night jim good night. i'll be back on the other side of this uh, break exxon nation as we continue here in the exxon from our broadcast center where in hamilton ontario canada don't go away